Hello, Acaville fans. Welcome to Tacapella, Acaville Radio's weekly talk show. I am one of your co-hosts, John Lampus, joined by... None other than me, Brian Alexander. I, you know, you, Brian, are so good at like setting me up. You're like joined by my <laughs> illustrious host. And this time I was just like joined by... Huh, yeah. Insert insert co-host name here. I really should have built I'm you like, up I couldn't get an, like even one adjective there, No, I, No, on, there man. is one where you like did a string of adjectives. And I like I remember listening back to that and I'm like, yeah, this guy's a good <laughs> co-host like i'm glad i chose this guy <laughs> hey i'm like that's what any good uh, partner in crime does you know it's you build up the other the other true. teammate so brian i had a bit of a strange week you know why what's that i watched terminator for the first time that's kind of weird what? what's strange oh for the first time yeah okay that's, that can be a little I'm different just, it's just been on my mind and i'm kind of looking at it like this mm-hmm. it's, it's good but it's a little weird and well, the, i'm trying to reconcile co- that right now just try i'm trying to get in the acapella headspace but at the same mind i'm just like linda hamilton like what are you mm-hmm. doing, girl? And Arnold, your face <laughs> looks so plastic, both when it's actually plastic and when it's not. See, now my follow-up question to that is, have you seen the second one? No, but I heard that's better. Is that true? Okay. Well, because I know a lot of times people watch the second one without even going into the first one. The second one is by far the best one, okay. in my opinion. Judgment Day, like, ugh, that, that's okay. up there. I'll see that Top one 10 movie list. next. Then. But okay. yeah, it's it's different seeing Arnold, you know, then and Linda Hamilton compared to now and then they're about to come up with another one. Yeah, that's the reason I, I was sitting with my friend and I was like, do you want to watch Terminator? And he's like, I mean, we probably should, right? Like, it's just a cultural <laughs> thing. And today we are, you know, I don't have a good segue. I thought something with Terminator <laughs> and robots and stuff would really kind of lend itself. But frankly, it doesn't. So I'm just going to say yeah. our guest today is Daniel Wolfert, the guest of episode two of Tacapella, the second episode ever. Daniel, how you doing, man? Although that being said, I am disappointed that I too did not receive any list of superlatives. I was <laughs> um, hoping for like a Daenerys Targaryen style. You'd be like, hey, man, there ooh. are so many people right now. There are so many parents right now. who are like, why did we name our baby Khaleesi? Oh, so, I, I would like, still have no regrets. Man. Ah, mm, mm. well, if your parents listen, they might have regrets. Um, They probably honestly already do, given the fact that I'm their child. There we go. You know, honestly, (laughs) and I hate to say this, but mom and dad, that sounds like a you problem. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Love you. (laughs) So, Daniel, you are a composer. You're a good composer. We've played some of your pieces on here before. You also recently got done with... uh, teaching like a little lecture at Voss with Lisa Hawkins. You're very involved in the acapella world. You took the group Underground Sound at University of Puget Sound, which was really struggling, and you and Lisa rejiggered it, and then you guys got, I think, second at the ICCA quarterfinals, or maybe it was first, I can't remember, but you guys did well. You have a you have a big range of acapella experience. So can you just tell us a little bit about your acapella journey before we uh, get started today? Sure thing. So let's see. Started back saw freshman, freshman year of college, joined Underground Sound at the University of Puget Sound. Next year became a musical co-director with Lisa Hawkins. Senior year, we took the group to ICCAs. I believe we got second at quarterfinals. I think, yeah, I think you did. And, mm. oh no, we didn't that year, but the group did the following year, get second, and got to proceed to semifinals. So Daniel, you obviously have a lot of acapella experience, and today we're going to be focusing on your endeavors as a composer of acapella originals. Obviously, acapella is generally an art form that is based and founded kind of on covers. But before we even get into that, can you give us a brief overview of your experience in the acapella world? I started my acapella journey back in freshman year of college, joining Underground Sound at the University of Puget Sound, became musical co-director with Lisa Hawkins next year. Took them to ICCA senior year, and since then have been professionally and non-professionally composing acapella songs alongside other pieces of music for the past, oh gosh, how long has it been? Four years? Three years? Something like that. Yeah, you graduated in 2016, so yeah. Three years, and recently, as you mentioned, went and taught a class on emotional intelligence in acapella with lisa hawkins at the boston acapella festival well so daniel i'm i'm curious when uh since you do a lot of compositional work what kind of groups do you normally compose for Mm. is it high school scholastic groups how far does the range kind of go out there i would say the stylistically the range doesn't vary enormously it's not like i'm composing any sort of like imitation of death metal or something like that (laughs) i hope not Uh, man 
That'd be weird. That would, that would be interesting. I'm sure that's a thing out there somewhere. Has anyone ever done that? Like, I bet someone's tried. Like, I'm sure someone has tried. What? You know, the closest thing I can think of is that uh, the Boston Festival. One of the groups whose name escapes me did this thing that was like, I, it wasn't a Panic at the Disco song, but it was like Panic at the Disco meets Opera meets Fallout Boy. It was out there. Not not that crazy, but anyway. So stylistically, not that varied per se, but. Um, there's been a wide range of group structures that I've composed for. I've done an all treble voice ensemble, several mixed ensemble pieces. And right now I'm doing an arrangement for Lisa Hawkins' new group, which is just three people. Oh, wow. Hmm. So, Daniel, when you're composing, I'm, I'm really curious because this is something that, as a choral musician, I think about a lot. When you're composing an original a cappella tune, how do you differentiate that from composing an original choral composition? Because you are using, obviously, these same tools. You're just using voices. And I think a lot of people make the mistake sometimes, and we talked about this on one of your earlier episodes, make the mistake of thinking that acapella is a cover-only art form. And I'm curious, so when you're composing an original acapella tune, what are the kind of the idioms you use, and how do you differentiate it from an original choral composition? That is a great question. So the main difference in approach is based in their genre, which is to say pop music versus the Western art tradition. And Mm -hmm. with the Western art tradition, and you can't see it, but I'm using air quotes, (laughs) you typically start with a text that you set to music. So what that means is if I'm writing a choral piece and I am not setting a pre-existing text, i.e. finding a piece of poetry or prose and then setting it to music, then I write my text out completely first. I have once or twice made the mistake of trying to do it the other way around with a choral piece. So choral piece, I'll write the text first, whereas with a pop piece, I will usually write the music first and write the lyrics afterwards. Okay. In that same vein, with a choral piece, after I've written the text, I'll usually speak through it and think, okay, what does this lend itself to with respect to prosody and cadence? Whereas with a pop song or any other style of popular acapella music, I'll usually have a melody and I'll sort of groove along to it and think, okay, what words would fit this groove? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Cool. No, that that makes a lot of sense because I think a lot of people get mistaken in thinking that it's just a, a kind of a cover thing and that when you, I know, do your acapella original compositions, you are consciously drawing on like pop music idioms as they translate to vocal music and using those despite an acapella original not being based off of a uh, pre-existing like text or a pre-existing song. Yeah, and I think there's a lot to be said for the arrangement styles as well, which Mm -hmm. is true of arranging as well as composing, of course. And that's really to say, in a lot of choral music, it's often a situation wherein pretty much everybody has words all the time. Oftentimes, you're singing the same words at the same time in harmony, and that's great. But with acapella music, given the fact that it's imitating the sound of a rock or pop band for the most part, a clear hierarchy. Yeah, there's a lot more work to be done with strategizing who's going to sound like what, when, and mm. who's important in what ways. Whereas usually uh, with choral music, there's a lot more of a, a differently structured hierarchy of melody and bass line with harmonies sticking very firmly underneath them or in between them. And then they're not being things like pads or not mm. a lot of unnes- un- unnecessary, so to speak, rhythmic activity. Gotcha. Yeah. So it it sounds like there's a a bit, a good bit of structure to your process when it comes to kind of crafting a new piece. And one one of the things that I think fascinates me about acapella, just from an original standpoint, is that it lends itself so well, uh, original music lends itself so well to acapella, just because acapella in itself, it kind of has that experimental kind of aspect Mm -hmm. to it. Um, Like a lot of times you go to an acapella concert certain you know what you you might not know what you're getting yourself into especially if you haven't been groomed in the genre and at the in that same vein originals or can be very experimental at the end of the day and so i'm just curious for yourself you know how do you establish an identity with your with these new songs because i know at least with 
covers at least my perception of it is it it almost already has an identity in a sense because a lot of times people are very familiar with the original artist's work so they kind of know you know what the the different melodies to expect maybe some of the instrumentation they kind of know what the feel of the music should be for you personally how do you establish an identity with your uh, original works when you say identity do you mean mm-hmm. establishing a clear musical personality yeah yeah more more of that personality you know the feel you know a lot of times you just listen to music you you can feel the emotions you can almost kind of feel the The style almost kind of like the the message or the theme yeah 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 how do you how does your music i guess when you're crafting it you know how do you go about uh, creating that emotional space with your music you know how do you bring those emotions out in songs you know how do you give it its unique nature for you personally i would answer that question differently depending on whether we were talking about a piece i wrote of my own accord and then Mm -hmm. may or may not give to somebody else to perform versus a piece I had written expressly for somebody else. And I mostly say that because when I'm hired to write something for somebody else, I'll usually Mm -hmm. put on a hat and say, well, if I were this person, what would I want to be performing? I don't need to be wearing that hat, so to speak, when I'm just composing for, so to speak, the fun of it. So getting to the heart of your question with stuff that I'm writing for myself, yeah, that's that's exactly what I want to focus on. I want to focus on the things you do kind of for yourself a little bit. Okay, all right. So let's see. Well, huh, okay. So you know what this makes me think of is a book by Austin Kleon called Steal Like an Artist. It's this general guide for creatives about how to think about inspiration and revitalizing your creativity. And I bring it up because there is one section where he says, you don't have to worry about there being a common theme in all your work, the common theme is yourself. So that would be my cheating answer. (laughs) If I were to try to give a more tangible answer, I would probably say when I write music for myself, I often think, think if I were performing this myself, what would make me feel most comfortable and feel like the performance was most authentic so if i could pose another question just just from your own personal experience and music that you can kind of think back that you've composed do you tend to lean more to you know maybe ballads or more up-tempo type works or you know what what do you enjoy typically what i typically enjoy most writing are songs with a lot of dynamic growth that lead to some sort of a really big belted chord with some thick harmony and you can find me using this trick in a lot of my songs and they usually tend to be more up-tempo and they tend to be more boisterous and bright that being said when i actually look back and rifle through all the things that i've written i do seem to have a greater propensity for writing slower material which actually surprises me. Yeah, that's that's different. And how, how do you? How does the audience or the people that normally listen to your originals? How do they react to these mm. kind of more slower kind of paced uh, tunes? You know, I'm often surprised to say that people tend to like the slower stuff more than the faster stuff. Really? I know mm. it's never what I expect. It's possible. It's because a lot of times I am recording and posting little bits of these pieces online usually via instagram or facebook and since it's me performing of my own accord we'll typically sing things that are more upbeat and faster and louder it's possible Mm -hmm. that they just react more positively because they're like oh thank god he's trying something new and not screaming at me again (laughs) but but it's hard to say on that i'm curious daniel so you're talking about how Generally, when you do an acapella original, you do stuff that's upbeat and has kind of thick harmony, and that leads to a very clear climax. And you talked about how that is, if you're just composing for yourself, that's what you want to do. And I'm curious, how does that, we're talking about making sure when you're composing an original that there is like kind of a part of your identity in the process or that you're showing something authentic? Because like you said, the common piece in your works is you. Um, So if you generally like to do 
big stuff that's up tempo with a clear climax like what kind of what part of your personality like are you putting in those works what part of yourself are you drawing upon to make that uh emotionally authentic composition when i think back on a lot of the the common tricks that i use which are typically ones that i i get a lot of emotional catharsis out of when i use them in Mm -hmm. my compositions they tend to be things like big climaxes a lot of dynamic contrast interesting textures and with respect to what part of me they they speak to or speak for i would say it would mostly be either my oh you know okay actually i know what it is okay it's my goal-oriented nature that makes me like big climaxes it's like a clear finish line exactly yes and uh based off of a lot of different books i've read and some of the world music themed courses that i took at a shenandoah university program i very much realized that it's a very uh like Western idea. You'll see in a a lot of non-Western music that there's a lot less of a necessity for climaxes. A lot of music in non-Western canons is a lot more willing to just have textures be the interesting aspect or timbres or melodies. But I really am a stickler for having a good climax. And I, when I write a piece that doesn't have some big climactic moment about three-fourths of the way through... I'll be like, man, that that song didn't really go anywhere. And maybe it feels like a little disingenuous to you. Exactly. And so for that reason, often when I'm writing for other people, I will try to rein that in because I know that that's not always a genuine sort of desire or need. For like other people, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people, they just, they're okay with a song just not having any sort of big climactic moment. Uh, With respect to things like interesting textures or unusual chord progressions i think of that being my an expression of my need for intellectual stimulation i love learning and being challenged and challenging myself so oftentimes these songs are almost like compositional etudes by which i mean they're they're chances for me to try out a new musical idea and see how it lands I really like that idea, and I think okay, we we got to wrap up here in just a sec for this segment. But I, I have a I have a fun idea that we could do here really quick. So obviously Daniel Brian, so let me say again. So obviously Brian Daniel just told us a bunch about how when he composes, like how parts of his identity fit into his pieces. And right. obviously you and I don't like compose original acapella tunes, um, but we both arranged before. So I'm curious mm-hmm. using this kind of thesis that we've kind of come up here with Daniel in that. We put part of ourselves in our musicianship and in, excuse me, and in acapella pieces that we either arrange or create from scratch. What is something that's common, Brian, in your pieces, in pieces you've arranged that relates to your identity? That relates to my identity. Yeah. So like, I really like, I use this Mm -hmm. very often in my pieces and this says this about me because I know a, a couple for me, but I'm curious. What about you? (laughs) <laughs> Something I have noticed, I'm really drawn to um, the big moments that uh, Daniel has kind of mentioned. So I, I have done it in multiple pieces where I end on these, um, almost these kind of like, they're not called, and, I, and I'm sorry, I'm not as well versed in the technical side, but um these big almost kind of bell tones at the end of of songs I remember I'm thinking back to a piece I did in um, college it was a it was a mashup of I'm yours and somewhere over the rainbow like who hasn't done that at this point but (laughs) the way we the way I ended it was um, I think I had the lower voices they kind of continued on to that very ending chord and they were the first ones to arrive at that chord but then as they held it out I had the other parts come in and one by one after their notes to kind of finalize that chord. And so mm-hmm. I'm also drawn to a big emotional uh, resolution at the end mm-hmm. of pieces. So that I think that plays a lot with me because I love emo- I'm a very emotive person when it comes to music. I love having some big grand gesture and this is because that's my personality. And so yeah. that's something that resonates with me. Like a clear emotional like kind of catharsis. Like this is what it was all for. And there's like an emotional truth to it. Yeah. I exactly. That. I want I want all the, the, the individual pieces to, you know, kind of fit that some hole at the end. So that's you know, that's evident in a lot of the pieces I've done before. Definitely. 
Yeah, how about, but yeah, does, does that work for you or do you do yeah, something differently? Um, or? Yeah, I do. So I generally compose with my buddy, Greg Starr, who's been on the show, or not compose, sorry, let me see again. So I generally arrange with uh, my buddy and friend of the show and one of the people behind the scenes at Tacapella, Greg Starr. So I think a lot of times if you look at my arrangements, and Daniel, you know Greg as well, so I'm, I'm, I think there's you can offer perspective on this too as we wrap up this segment. And like for my pieces, I'm a really big fan of of every like something you can look at in the arrangements greg and i do and there'll be some things that greg always brings and some things i always bring but i always kind of want everyone in the group to sing the melody in octaves like it all like you know we're doing a bunch of cool counterpoint and then everything kind of stops like in the piece that greg and i arranged uh, sorry by justin bieber which is not a piece we really wanted to arrange but the group wanted to do it and i was like yeah sure there's the little motive that you hear over and over in sorry where i think the i think bieber goes whoa oh, oh, oh and there's a part like near like right near the end where we all do that in unison and in octaves and it like kind of crystallizes everything for a second and it's this sense of kind of keeping not only an emotional honesty but almost like a simplicity in these more complex situations like i'll get up and speak about a bunch of things or be really intense while doing music making but i always want there to be a sense of simplicity in the things I'm doing and through that simplicity and honesty and being very like clearly identifiable, if that kind of makes sense, like doing a bunch of big stuff and then everything stops and it's just, Oh, here's a joke about, I don't know, Terminator or something just kind of (laughs) silly that brings it back in. And the other thing I always like is I'm just a huge sucker for melody because that for me is like the best part about music in general i've always pieces that don't have a clear melody or even a catchy melody i've never gravitated to and Mm -hmm. because that's my favorite part about just music in general when we're doing like background parts i rarely like to have them just kind of do chords and i always want them to be like i want their parts to be like catchy on their own so that the whole thing is inviting and entertaining because that's what i see is the most important thing about music so i want that ingrained in the whole process daniel as a composer does this stuff like make sense to you or are we just on some like crazy trip right now you are not on some crazy trip no it all makes sense uh the comment about the bell chords at the end very much is something that i often although not always do uh and i i very much think of it as wanting to put a definitive period at the end of your Mm -hmm. musical sentence so to speak Mm mm-hmm that makes sense. Just like knowing you, Brian, like I, I see that <laughs> like, no. And I think this is cool. We're hey. doing like a little bit of like therapy through music and like finding out things about ourselves through the art we create, which is, which is really neat. I think. Yeah. And, I, and so, uh, the, the bell chords do make me think of putting a definitive period at the end of a sentence. And then with respect to what you were saying about the octaves, elucidating the melody, making sure that is at the forefront. I, also consider that, and this is not a bad thing per se, consider that to be a, a very uh, Western concept that I too have very firmly ingrained where if my melody doesn't feel like it has clarity, especially either rhythmic or pitch-related clarity, as in having some sort of definitive, uh, interesting rhythm or set of notes. Kind of like a hook. Exactly. Yeah. Then I feel like the entire thing has no identity and... I think it's good to know where where you find the identity for your songs or your arrangements. Yeah, absolutely. Brian, you had one more thing you were going to say? Yeah, I was I wanted to make a one one minor comment about yeah. what you uh your take on, you know, your your the way you arrange music and yeah. I don't know, this is my interpretation, but I'm like I was listening <laughs> to that and I was like it also kind of feels like you have the uh, this kind of love of balance within your music. Mm. Um cuz not saying that like tons of people do it, but there of course I'm sure we can all look back at times when maybe we had a little bit more love for the alto line or a little bit more love for <laughs> the lower voices or something. But I'm listening to the way uh you kind of your take on music and it's just like it's kind of this harmony between all parts where they should have this balance, this equal worth to it. At the end of the day, when you mentioned uh, having yeah. every part kind of take on the melody a little bit. So I don't know. I'm just picking up stuff that might no, not that be makes, true, but that makes sense. Know? Like as a bass, like I've done pieces where I'm just like singing one, four, five, one, and I'm just kind of like <laughs> bored. But like there are other pieces where like 
the bass line is stuck in my head because it's so catchy and i want that through all the parts because i want everyone to like be engaged and have that balance not only of like importance in the music but also just like of interest and engagement in the music we're making we've gone way over so we're going to take a quick break but this is a really fun just kind of last thing to just touch on really quick about kind of discovering little bits of our identity and how they fit in our music so we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be right back here on Tacapella. Hey everybody, it's Aaron here from The Spotlight, the show that's always recorded face-to-face, always live, and always a good time. We spend at least a half an hour every week with a group or artist. We hear their backstory, hear what they're up to these days, and have some conversation while hearing them sing some live tunes. Get more in-depth with your favorite groups, and maybe some you haven't heard of, on The Spotlight every Wednesday at 5 p.m. East and 8 p.m. West, and again on Rebroadcast Sunday. It's all here on Akaville. And welcome back to Tacapella. Hey, everybody. This is another, I think we're on episode 86 now of oh Tacapella. We, we record like three or four in advance, so I'm not always sure of the numbers, and I don't want to say anything like, I'm going to say it's number 86, but I don't know, what if like the apocalypse happened and we lost <laughs> this episode, and it's actually episode like 143, and we just lost it along the way. I'm not sure. Hey, we uh, need accurate numbering, so John, yeah. there's nothing wrong with this at all. <laughs> So we kind of had a fun time. We were originally talking about acapella originals, but we've had a fun time using that as a jumping off point to talk a little bit more about how art, about how our contributions to the acapella art and the content we create in acapella, whether that's group, whether whether that's groups, whether that's arrangements, whether that's original compositions, whether that's infrastructure within acapella organizations, we're kind of using that as a lens to look at. We're kind of looking at ourselves through our contributions to acapella. Uh, We did that with the last uh, segment there where we were talking about how we arrange pieces and what that says about our personality. So we thought it might be cool to do the same thing a little bit more on music, but also on our leadership pursuits in acapella. Because we've all talked about, we've all had, because we've all had extensive experience leading groups. And I think we can learn a lot kind of about ourselves and how our personalities come through in uh, what, in the content we create in acapella. Yeah. Yeah. And John, with that, I'm like, it's, it's so hard as you're, as you're uh, working with the group, as you're doing anything creatively to not and have some kind of reflection of yourself come in Mm -hmm. through, through these different avenues. So I think it's super important. I'm like, I look back on my time in groups and I don't think I've once ever really thought till you just brought this up now. Like, what did I do that was like really a Brian thing? Like what Mm -hmm. aspect of the group was really more of a Brian thing than it was just a a group thing. So I think this is really cool that we're getting to talk about this. Daniel, why don't you start us off? So you, basically rebooted the group Underground Sound at the University of Puget Sound. Yeah. And you and Lisa did it together. And I'm curious, like, what part of your personality did you imbue in the group through your leadership? (sighs) Well, boy, it's funny you bring this up (laughs) because when Lisa and I went to Boston for the festival and taught this class on emotional intelligence, that was very much a big part of what we were discussing. Mm. So to get to the heart of it, Lisa and I have very similar personalities that are that were very different than almost everybody else in the group. And in this sense, our personalities really dominated how the group ran. So for example, the group before our leadership was a lot more lackadaisical about punctuality or memorization. And we were both uh, sticklers for both of those things. So both within the context of the rehearsal dynamic, as well as the music itself, the fact that Lisa and I had personalities that were a lot more mm, inflexible and commanding very much bled into how the group presented itself and operated. Mm-hmm. Can you give us an example of that? Like, so I know for people who don't, let me say again. So for people who, let me do it one more time. So what was the group like before you took it over, Daniel? And then how did your personality affect both the music and the kind of way the group presented itself and the group brand and identity after you took it over? Before Lisa and I took on leadership roles, the group was a lot more relaxed 
but also a lot less prepared for most of our uh, performances. And just in general, had a, a self-image that was oftentimes self-deprecating. Uh, I think a lot of people thought of the group as something that they didn't, that w- wasn't a huge source of pride per se. And if it was a source of pride, it was a, a source of pride in its sort of silliness and the fact that it was something they didn't have to take too seriously, which I can respect as a way of a group navigating its own waters, so to speak. But once Lisa and I took on the positions of musical directors, we brought a different vision to the table of being a lot more presentable, of trying to take pride in the group's accomplishments, in the music being more readily accessible and palatable to the audience. Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's really key the things you're talking about this kind of source of pride because i don't think that we we place enough emphasis on pride and as i I guess in the sake of a acapella group because i I think i think back to organizations that you normally associate pride and you know once again i'm thinking of sports i'm i'm thinking of things where you're like super active engaged and you know you can really exert yourself to show pride but you know it's just as important with the the music you know like you're really tapping into something that's really personal something that's really connected it's literally your voice yeah 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 and so it's 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 amazing that you bring up pride because i don't think that we think enough about pride like as you say and john it's something that's so personal to us with our voice this is something that we had that gives that makes us who we are at the end of the day so uh you know what what kind of ways were there any other ways that you were seeing in terms of output that was kind of letting you and Lisa know that, hey, the group is really tapping into pride? You know, you mentioned, you know, the attendance being an issue. Did you notice more people showing up on time? Did you know, were there anything you were doing in preparation for concerts? Two of the biggest things that come to mind were musical preparation. So people knowing that they had to have their music prepared ahead of time for rehearsals and therefore going through the the process of learning their music uh, without us having to badger them. And then social media presence, by which I mean the members actively uh, promoting performances and expressing their excitement for concerts. Yeah, how about you? I just wanted to comment. I think that's great. I think the kind of developing that marketing aspect, that that's super important. Uh, so I, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, for me personally, I'm, I'm trying to think back. I think back to my group. I did a lot of really different things at times. I was kind of a different person when I started the group to where I ended up. But uh, for me, something that's been a constant with any kind of musical endeavor, I've always been big into, you know, the lyrics, the meaning of music, um, you know, the the emotions that you derive from listening to songs. And one of the th- I remember, I think back to my time in the group, uh, in my college group, the Green Tones. And I remember there were a few instances when I would literally bring in different songs that resonated with me that just kind of gave me an emotional gut punch. And I was like, all right, before we start rehearsals off, we're going to... I want you guys to listen to this song because this kind of has affected me in such a profound way. I want you guys to see if you get a similar source of inspiration from the music or any kind of inspiration or any kind of emotional connection. From that, I guess what I was trying to gauge and kind of produce from the group is I want us to kind of feel a certain way about our music. I want the the love that I'm having for these songs that I listen to and that touch me. I want you guys to kind of have that same or a similar experience with the music we're bringing into the group. It's like you're almost like as weird as it sounds like and, and Daniel you might think this is stupid, but um, <laughs> it's almost like you're it's almost like you're tuning the ensemble in a sense like emotionally yeah. you're like getting mm-hmm. everyone in the same not only headspace but like musical emotional space because right. i like if you i don't know if there's a part of a song that's clearly meant to be like very emotional instead of just telling mm-hmm. the group this is where it gets emotional you're almost like providing them with an example the kind of emotion you want to derive in the song and like hey here's an example of an emotional song and how and because you've identified it for them and all gotten everyone on the same kind of wavelength and same understanding what that is like it's going to be so much easier to do that in rehearsal and it's also probably like more focused and people are more in sync with each other emotionally yeah and it was 
uh, to a degree, it was kind of like a meter of success that I was kind of trying to watch the group because I was like, hey, if we're able to deliver a song and we all feel a particular emotional way about it at the end of it in regards to the same way I feel about these other songs I know that we're doing something right at the end of the day I know that we are being successful in all these many endeavors and you know what it might be a bit singular focus because you know I'm the one kind of gauging my own emotions and I'm hoping that I can see from my group a similar level of emotional exertion at the end of the day yeah but hey it was it was something that you know it meant a lot to me but and i'm sure they appreciated that too like that's you being like pretty open with them and saying like hey this piece makes me feel something even Mm -hmm. if it you know hopefully it makes you feel something too and if not let's have the discussion it's it's something we talk about pretty commonly on this show is making sure most people in the group have a shared vision of what they want the group to be in terms of like where they're going and you're doing that almost like on a microcosmic level in terms of like having that vision musically and emotionally through the music yeah yeah it was it was exactly like that and you know what at at the end of the day i noticed i noticed a shift so you know who knows if it was me or who knows because i inspired them to go out and figure out something for themselves but hey it worked but um yeah but what, what about you john what what were some of your tendencies with your groups yeah so having started two groups um both within like four-ish years of each other. There's definitely similarities between the two. And when I started Mountain Horns, the second group at Colorado State, where I went to grad school, it definitely became more clear. I think when you start one group or only lead one group, you kind of think like, oh, that was just like a Timberman thing. But then I started seeing commonalities in things I wasn't conscious of between the two. I'm like, oh no, this is just a John thing. This is a Lampus co you know lampus company group kind of thing and one of those is one of my shortcomings and i think that's something important to talk about in that i and daniel can confirm this because i think we went to the gym together a couple of times like i am not i as weird as that sounds like i'm not until recently i was not a very physically active person i wasn't like massively overweight but i was not someone who was going to the gym often i'm not someone who like i did theater but stage presence was always like second or third on the list below Uh, accurate musicianship, tuning, and, like, emotional honesty. Like, for me, being physically, not even physically active, but just, like, physically engaged on stage was something I thought, well, you can just do that at the end. And I think that's because, like, I was never someone who thought about their physical body too much besides, like, here's the choreography and that's what we're doing. Like, I, I don't know, like, in show choir, I would do the dances and be engaged in them, but that was not something I internalized because my relationship with my musical physicality hasn't ever really been connected, and frankly, until I started going to the gym regularly this year. Now, I just have a greater appreciation for how groups carry themselves on stage, and one of the things in my groups, and I'm proud of both of them, but, like, they both got better at emoting and being physically engaged on stage after I left, frankly, because they know, and that and that's common, like after someone leaves a group, you try and get better. And one of the things in both my groups is that I didn't instill that into the DNA of the group because I always thought there were a billion things more important. And then one of their goals, both Timberman and Mountainhorns, they both talked about how they wanted to be more engaging on stage. And I'm, I look at that and go, yeah, because I didn't do that. And I don't think that's an inherently like terrible thing, but it's just something that we can all be aware of in you know, we're talking about the good things we brought to groups. We can also think of our shortcomings and how our identity connects to the group and shapes it and looking at, okay, well, how do the things that I don't necessarily pay attention to, how does that also affect the identity for good and for worse sometimes? Yeah. And based off what I'm hearing, I'm like, it sounds like, and this I'm sure is no surprise to any of us, but as musical leaders, you know, we all prioritize things differently at the end of the day. And you know what? It doesn't mean that there's any wrong or right way to do it. I think at the end of the day, it, it, it gets back to the heart of what we're talking about. It all comes from our own personalities. It all comes down to, you know what, this is what hits us the hardest musically. And, you know, whether it be, let's save the choreography to the very end, because we know we can just ace that or, you know what, if it's not the if it's not the smoothest thing, then, hey, we'll be fine. Our audience will pick up mm-hmm. on another aspect. But, you know, we we prioritize things differently. And Daniel, do you agree with that at all? Do you disagree with my <laughs> assertion? You, did there? we ever go to the gym together? I feel I, like we I did think, once. Yeah, we did. No, we, maybe, we maybe, did. Maybe. We Sorry. I did, like as soon as I asked that, I remembered it was we would go on the bikes and we were talking about we saw someone wearing like a garden level shirt out in the gym and I was like, 
that's a good idea to have like just like fan shirts and we talked about that and you're like that is a good idea and we were on the bikes i remember that in the little kind of offshoot room that was always just like a little bit sketchier than the rest of the gym am i am i man am i tapping into your memories here you know i can almost see it but the uh, computer of my brain is saying file not found Okay. <laughs> that being said, well, I remember it vividly now. Getting, I think it was only once or twice. I think you're right. Getting back to the subject at hand, I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, as a voice teacher now, I find that there's a lot of variety with respect to how students will prioritize hierarchy of the musical elements are. So what I mean is you will have some students who will go in and be like, I want to make sure I get every single pitch right, kind of like what you were saying, John, and some students who say, I want to get the emotions right, and some people who say, I want to look good on stage. And there's just succeed and suffer accordingly. I definitely found that I, and to a lesser extent, Lisa, really prioritized musical accuracy and emotional engagement engagement to underground sound while we were directors over things like physicality which isn't to say that we didn't have choreography but i don't think that we approached ways of talking about it or thinking about it that were helpful for the group and in that sense i felt like a lot of the group's physical or the the group's stage presence suffered accordingly yeah but i just having been at puget sound during this time I feel like you guys recognize that. And I remember, I don't know, I think it was my the my last semester at Puget Sound, which was the first semester of your senior year. That was something you guys had clearly uh, worked on. And I thought it came across really well. And I think this is the other side of these things in that, yes, we will do things in shaping our groups and create certain tendencies that may not be the absolute best things. Like me with the physicality, or you're talking about stage presence and whatnot. But one of the key things we can do as group leaders and group creators, and I've talked about this moment with Brian a bunch of times, is I remember in Mountain Horns, we were trying to choose our like, we were trying to choose our tradition song, the song we sing at the end of every concert. They really wanted Rocky Mountain High. I really wanted an original that I was gonna have Daniel compose, which I think he composed most of it actually. And my whole thing was, no, I think this will strengthen our identity because it will be something uniquely us. They said, no, you know, we really, we wanna do the original, but we think Colorado, something unique to Colorado is gonna be more important and resonate in the uh, community. And they were totally right. And they outvoted me on the thing, which was fine because we agreed to do to do a vote. And that was the right choice. And it's these moments of where you think you are so certain or you're like very certain that your decision is the right one for not only the group, but the group shaping the group's identity and being open to the other members within the group, kind of like you were saying, Daniel, of other factors at play then they all have they all kind of had a stake in shaping the group and i also got you know pushed back a little bit in a healthy way and it's important basically what i'm saying is it's important to not only have yourself let me say again basically what i'm saying is in this kind of awareness we're talking about of how we affect our groups and their culture it's important to recognize not only our shortcomings but things that the group wants that we might not want and how they shape the group as well yeah, I agree. I th- I think, you know, whether it's the, the group's decision on uh, arriving at something particular, whether it's song selection or, you know, style choices on how you're going to present yourself on stage or, you know, we're talking about the physicality of it all or you're looking we're looking at ourselves individually and like, hey, what did I do to necessarily influence the way things are going to be brought about. I I think the common goal that my mind, the way it processes it is, it just needs to be impactful at the end of Mm -hmm. the day. You know what? You can choose to go along with a ballad over an up-tempo song. That's perfectly fine. Make that the most tear-jerking, emotional piece that the audience... Tear-jerking. I I know. I'm just uh, trying to come up with new words here. Exactly. (laughs) Make it, you know, that that piece that has the audience crying their eyes out at the end of the day, if that's going to be the case. Or, you know, if you're... Um, if you're not going to do choreography and you're going to stand in one place, make sure facial expressions are on point. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, uh, I think the swingles are a very good example 
of unconventional because they they do a lot of their videos with you know being almost stationary a lot of times i've seen them at tables i've seen them standing in just an arch at the end of the day but their music hits hard at the yeah. end of the day and i think that's what it comes down to as us as leaders and i'm, I'm picking up from both of you guys are you know we don't necessarily just make choices just because we make them because we feel that they are an extension of us and we know what we like and we know what we want people to tap into. Well said. Daniel, closing thoughts? So again, I am not part of a group anymore, but I will say as a voice teacher now, I have to do quite a bit of navigating what I want out of a voice student's performance versus what they want out of their performance. And it was a big point of growth for me, especially in my first year or two as a private voice instructor, realizing that it was okay if all of my priorities were not reached or achieved, as long as there was a good balance between what I wanted the student to do in order to grow versus what they wanted to do in order to feel good about their performance. And then similarly, as a composer, including a composer of acapella songs, when I'm writing for somebody else, there is lot to be said for learning to hmm, negotiate and navigate between what you want versus what might be best for other people. And I'm thinking back to the beginning of this whole spiel when we talked about some of my idiosyncrasies and common tricks as a composer and how some of those might not work for other people. And learning that that is okay. Yeah, acapella is a collaborative art. Was tough for me. But again, big point of growth and realizing that I could include what I would consider some of the best of my musical personality while balancing that with what other people consider the best of theirs is important and healthy. Well said, Daniel. We're going to take one more quick break and then we're going to be right back here for this episode of Tacapella. All around the world, there are amazing acapella concerts going on all the time. You can't be to all of them, but that's what we're here for. So catch Friday Night Live every Friday at 9 p.m. East, 6 p.m. West, where we bring you live concerts from all around the world. You can be there in spirit, even if you couldn't make it in person. And you can catch them again on rebroadcast Sunday at 11.15 a.m. East, 8.15 a.m. West, and 12 hours later, be there. Thanks for joining us on Tacapella. We have been speaking with Daniel Wolfert. Uh, Daniel has just been a, a great guest today. We've been picking his brain on the whole process of composing originals and acapella music, as well as we kind of diverted a little bit in our second segment and just spoke about you know, how we kind of reflect our own personalities into the groups that we lead. So it's been a very enlightening episode, nonetheless. So uh, with our final segment, we always like to ask our guests if they could offer the community a single piece of advice, um, you know, whether it be to particular individuals out there or just to the community as a whole, what would it be? And so, Daniel, we pose the same question to you. If you could offer some advice to our listeners out there, what would you have to say? So the advice I'm going to give would be to fellow acapella songwriters, particularly ones who, like me, are just starting out on the scene or ones who are thinking about potentially one day starting out on the scene and have not even yet taken that step. Respect to those people, of course. And my advice would be that I encourage you to try writing music that is at the edge of your comfort zone. And I say this not only as a way of pushing your musical boundaries as a, an acapella songwriter and composer, but also to test your limits intellectually and emotionally to see, to see how far you as a person can grow and find new ways of expressing yourself. Well said, man. Daniel, if people want to get a hold of you, see what you're all about, uh, hire you hire you to arrange something for them or compose an acapella piece, how could they do that? They can find me at my website, which is both my private music studio and composing website called horizonmusicalstudio.com. Again, horizonmusicalstudio.com. Everything is spelled exactly as you expect it to be. You can also find me on Instagram at Daniel Makes Music. 
Uh, they can find me on Twitter as usual at the Brian Alex Brian with an I, and then of course go follow all the work I do with College Acapella. Very nice. And then everyone, you can find me in the same place on Twitter and Instagram at John Lampus. More importantly, check out Acaville Radio on every social media platform everywhere ever don't think we're on friendster though uh and make sure to check out tacapella's stuff we are on twitter at tacapella we are on our website at tacapella.org we're also on itunes just search tacapella let us know what you thought today about our discussion about emotional honesty and personality in acapella content about acapella originals let us know we're always looking to hear from our listeners and just connect with the greater acapella community as much as we can thanks for tuning in for this week's episode of tacapella Daniel, thank you for being here and for everything acapella. Please stay tuned.